Hello, and welcome to the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Another indeterminate time period, another episode of the podcast. Yes, welcome back. It's me, Ray Tempesta, your host with the most nagging sense of self-doubt. Here I am once again to tell you some stuff about theatre that's happening in our region. That is, after all, the point of the podcast. In case you haven't tuned in before, tuned in, that's a very analogue word. Um, What's the modern equivalent? Streamed. In case you haven't streamed before. No, actually, I I don't like that. Anyway, the, the, the way the podcast is arranged is pretty simple. It's split into three parts. Section one is where I rather presumptuously impose an aspect of my life upon my listeners by telling you what I've been up to in the world of theatre lately. Section two is the juicy meat that dominates the figurative plate of the podcast, or for vegetarians, the nut roast, the jackfruit. I don't know. It's not a food podcast, is it? Anyway, the aforesaid juicy meat is the interview with a guest or guests where I find out what they're up to and usually what they're working on currently. And once I'm done irritating them, we move on to section three, where I take a quick look at some of the upcoming shows and auditions happening in our region over the next few weeks. That's all coming up, of course, but first, indulge me as I embark upon some shameless self-promotion. The East Anglian Theatre Podcast has a presence on most of the major social media platforms, including Facebook once again, after my account was recovered following a dreadful attack. I'm largely unharmed, but I do bear the scars. Anyway, if you come across my accounts, do give them a like, a follow, a share, or whatever. There's also a dedicated website, eatpod.co.uk. That's eatpod.co.uk. Here you'll find all episodes of the podcast, the reviews that I frequently write for companies, and a page to contact me if you want to let me know about an upcoming show, or even if you'd like the unique, if slightly painful experience of being interviewed by me. Anyway, enough of that nonsense, here's some more nonsense, and in the absence of a co-host or even a companion, I have to ask myself, Ray... What have you been up to theatre-wise lately? Well, thanks for asking, you rather lonely and pathetic man. I will tell you. I've seen a couple of shows in the last couple of weeks. The first of these was Spotlights the Musical, which was a brand new production co-written by India Crittenden and Casey Duval, both of whom I interviewed on the podcast about the show back in May. Now, for a completely original show, it was really well-formed, in particular the musical score. Performances were excellent, which really helped to give it a lift, as there wasn't really too many in attendance at the opening night of the Madam Market, which was a shame. But this is a company whose roots very much lie in Suffolk, though, and I suspect they'll do better audience-wise when they play at the Players' Theatre in Lowestoft in, well, in a few days' time. I think the script and the narrative overall could do with a bit of workshopping to try and tighten it up as it felt like they were plucking at too many threads at times and so it lost its focus. But for a first proper outing, it was really well put together. The second show I caught was The Wonderful Wizard of Oz at the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds. This was the latest of their in-house productions with the original script funded by their Commissioning Circle initiative. It was a triumph of a show, really enjoyable to watch, with the standouts obviously being the professional cast, but a few of the community cast were more than able to hold their own alongside them. That production continues until the 2nd of September, so there's still a chance to see it, depending on when you're listening to this, of course. Tickets for that are available via theatreroyal.org. Now, if you want to check out either of my reviews for these productions, visit my website, eatpod.co.uk. 
I've also been heavily working on my lines for the upcoming Summer Shakespeare production with the Palace Players. It's a free show taking place on the 10th of September with performances at 11am and 2pm. Now it's out in the garden at the Church of St Martin's at Palace Plain and we're performing a selection of scenes and monologues from the likes of Twelfth Night, King Lear, The Taming of the Shrew and Henry IV. It's a performance as part of the Heritage Open Days and it's in aid of the Norwich Historic Churches Trust so we will be accepting donations on their behalf. I'll post links for that on my social media but do check it out if you can. Now at the time of recording I will be going to watch The Bodyguard at the Norwich Theatre Royal tonight which I'm very much looking forward to and I'm going to be watching the Kevin Costner film in advance to remind me what it's all about. So look out for my review for that one. Anyway enough about me and what about you? What have you been up to? What, what have you seen lately? Do feel free to engage with me on social media as I'm always happy to hear from you. Okay, so enough of section one and on to section two, the interview. And this time I'd like to introduce you to a writer who is based hundreds of miles away from us all, assuming we're listening to this in East Anglia, as she writes from her home in West Scotland. Now her name is Jill Corn, and you may well reasonably ask, Ray, what's her link to East Anglia? Well, Jill has written an audio drama about Julian of Norwich as part of the 650th anniversary celebrations of Julian's Visions, or also known as her Shoeings. The drama is called The Glad Giver, and it's set to debut at St Stephen's Church in Norwich on the 18th of October. So, without further ado, let's have a chat with Jill, shall we? Hi there, Jill. It's lovely to speak with you. We'll start in the most obvious of places. So if you could just introduce us to yourself and, of course, your company, Sound Escape Theatre. Yeah, my name is Jill Corn. I live in Scotland. I live in the west of Scotland. And I set up Sound Escape Theatre six years ago, really, when I was studying at Glasgow University and decided that uh, the best way to get my work, my audio plays out there, would be as, as podcasts. So, yeah, that's when I started, about seven years ago. Yeah. And The Glad Giver, the, the audio drama that you're currently um, in the process of producing, it, it centres around the shoeings of Julian of Norwich. But before we get into that, what, what can you tell us about Julian herself? Because I, I have to be perfectly honest, I know precious little about her. It's a bit like the Scots and Robert Burns, to be honest. Everybody mm. kind of knows who he is, but no one's quite sure of the details. I'm, I'm not a Julian scholar, so there may very well be people listening here who know a hundred times more than I do. What I think what's fascinating about her is that she lived 650 years ago. So in the Middle Ages, when the world was ruled, at least the Western world was ruled by, by Christianity, I think what struck me about this is that it's the first book that we have written in English by a woman. It's not in Latin. It's, it's written in English. It's obviously written in English at the time, and it's been translated since. At age 30 and a half, she's very precise about this, at age 30 and a half, um, she thought she was dying. Um, she was very ill. We're not quite sure what with. And she was given she was granted 16 visions which she calls her showings or showings which revealed to her truths about god jesus the world really and she wrote that down she wrote that down pretty much as soon as she recovered 
She later then became an anchoress, and, and this is, I think, what's fascinating to the modern world. She locked herself away into one small room attached to the Church of St. Julian, and she stayed there for the rest of her life, and she lived, as far as we know, she lived a long life. So that's kind of something that freaks people out there nowadays, that someone should choose to live in more or less um, solitary confinement. Is, is that what an anchoress is? Yeah. yeah. She's, she's, she's anchored to the church, if you like. The, the okay. anchor was the kind of – anchor hold means withdrawal. It means withdrawing from the world. And so an anchorite or an anchoress in this case um, had withdrawn from the world and chosen to live in a tiny cell attached to – usually attached to a church. Mm. And in, in that place she meditated and she – thought about these revelations that she she had had and she wrote a longer version um around her meditations i'm not particularly a religious person but what i understand from the way that she wrote is that because she writes about compassion and about goodness in the world this this message is still resonating i mean 650 years that's a long time and mm. the message is still resonating and people are still reading her and still you know, looking for meaning in what she wrote. So I think all that's quite interesting for someone to have written so long ago and for people to find that still relevant. It's really interesting. Yeah. And from your perspective, I mean, clearly looking at your past works, you, you've a love of history and historical figures, but you've mentioned that you knew fairly little about Julian and of Norwich before you embarked upon this project. But, but what grabbed you about the story? I think at the time that I decided to write about, she was a woman of about my age. Um, so she was a woman of, you know, late 60s, perhaps early 70s. And she had lived maybe 40 years like that. And so I thought, well, what, you know, what, what does your life become when you've lived in this way? We know that her cell or her anchor hold um, looked onto Rouen Road. We know that she was near the docks, she was near the business quarter, all sorts of life would be passing by her window, which gave on to the outside world. And how much I wondered of her life was tied up, despite this isolation, apparent isolation, how much of her life was tied up with other people? What would happen to her in, in one day of her life? And that was the angle that I tried to come at, if you like. In, a, in an audio play, you've got quite a small canvas. You know, you, you can't tell the story of a long life very easily in an audio play. But it seemed to me that a day in the life of an elderly lady who'd spent her time, you know, doing this, meditating, reading, writing, could be of interest um, to other people because it fitted the canvas of an audio drama. Mm. And speaking of audio dramas, why is that your chosen medium for your work? <laughs> there are some positives, right? There are lots of positives. One is that relatively it's it's easier to produce than a theatre play because you don't have any scenery or props or costumes. Um, you don't even have a long rehearsal time. If you've got good voice actors, they're doing everything, obviously, with their voice. There is longevity in that if you put an audio play on as a podcast, people can listen to it forever and whenever they want mm. whereas with a theatre production you know I love it but there was all that effort and all that work involved and after five days if you were lucky that was probably the end of it 
Whereas with a, an audio drama, you know, it's it, it's got a longer life than that. And the, 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 the negatives, I suppose, were that I really don't like writing description. I love writing dialogue. But if you write a novel or even a short story, you've got to do description. And I get really bored writing description. So I stick with dialogue. Yeah. You mentioned the longevity there. So about The Glad Giver, presumably it'll still be available outside of the, um, it's it's in conjunction with the 650th anniversary, isn't it? Organised by the Julian Foundation, is it? Yes. There's a, there's a visual art exhibition um, going to be on from mid-October. It starts on the 18th of October through into November. And that's mm. in St. Stephen's Church. And this is going to form a part of that because although this isn't visual, you know, it, it perhaps brings something for people who, who can't see. But um, after that, it will be podcast under Sound Escape Theatre with all of my other stuff. And so we'll probably, well, it will almost certainly go out on other podcast collections to the US, to Canada, Australia, um, to India, because I've got connections um, in various places. So hopefully it will be widely listened to. And there are, fans isn't perhaps the right word, there are followers of Julian all over the world. I would hope people would hear it who, who would enjoy it and get something from it. Yeah. And when you came to actually starting the writing process, what, what did the research and development phase involve? I and mean, presumably the foundation helped you in that regard. Yeah. I, first of all, visited Julian's cell the last time that I was in Norwich and, and love to get a feel of the kind of space. It's actually a reproduction, but it still gives you a, a, an idea of the size of the space that she lived in. Um, and then you start reading. Um, and I started actually with her own work. I started by reading her um, Revelations of Divine Love because I thought, well, if I'm writing about this woman, it's her voice that I really want to hear. I had help from um, Lucy Kerr, who is curating the exhibition, who is a huge expert on Julian and on that period generally. So she was immensely helpful and directed me to other reading and so on. Um, so it's talking to people who know more than I do um, and, you know, reading all the books that I can find. What I don't tend to do is read other people's fictional ideas because people have written, you know, other fictional books or, or yeah, books mostly about Julian. And because you necessarily have to bring in your imagination, I don't want to pinch other people's ideas. If, if there's imagination in the story, I want it to be my imagination. Mm. and to be original so I tend to go for to the source material and then bring in ideas of my own because we have to imagine a lot with this story mm. there's so much we don't know yeah how long have you been working on this I would say since December last year obviously the research takes quite a while and then you draft it and then you redraft it and redraft it and then you chuck things away and then you give it to somebody else and they say mm, well I like this bit but I don't really much like that bit and so you go back and draft it again, you know, um, mm. until, you, until you're happy with it. And then once there's a read-through, we did a read-through on Zoom with, with these amazing six local actors. Once you've done a read-through, then there are things that kind of snag, that they don't sound right, or mm. the actor has difficulty saying it. It just doesn't sound natural because I wanted the dialogue to sound natural, not medieval. So then there's probably another little bit of, of drafting as well to be done and redrafting of, of things that sound a bit awkward maybe yeah and once it's out there in the public forum what do you hope 
or, or think that audiences might take from the drama? I guess I'm hoping that they will perhaps themselves go back and read more about her. As I say, I'm not particularly religious. I'm not, I'm not trying to convert anybody to any point of view. But the big feeling that comes out of reading about Julian is the level of compassion that she had for the whole world and, and, and that she believed that compassion was the key to it all. And she was sailing a bit close to the wind there because the church was, was, was definitely teaching hellfire and brimstone. You know, if you were bad, then you were doomed to eternal damnation and it was pretty hellish. And she didn't really believe that and she doesn't come across as believing that. So, you know, as a medieval writer, she was probably taking a bit of a risk there by disagreeing with, with the, the standard church. But I would hope that that would maybe come across to people, that this, this message of just kindness and compassion and optimism, because it feels like we all need a bit of that just now. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to yourself, how, how about you, Jill? I mean, I, I understand you, you're quite sort of late, if you like, to the sort of creative writing process. Yeah, um, like lots of people probably have, folders full of bits of paper um, gathered over the years that I never did anything with. And then when I was looking forward to retiring from my day job, I had done some theatre work in Glasgow. We had um, about 16 years ago, I think, we'd set up a a pop-up theatre group in Glasgow and we performed in basements and cafes and things. And so I'd I'd kind of come back to, to acting and improvisation and so on. But when I was thinking about retiring, I was thinking that I wanted to do something with that time that I had never had time to do or never concentrated on before. And I went back to Glasgow University and I did a master's degree in creative writing. And during the course of that, had a bit of a revelation myself, I suppose, realised that what I loved most and what I really would love to write would be audio drama. And only then really did I start to take it seriously enough to actually sit down and produce, you know, full-length dramas and realise that actually podcasting opened up a whole new world because before you had to rely on the BBC, did they like it, would they read it, were they interested in it? But there's a certain freedom in being an independent producer of audio drama and I try to put out stuff that's good and I try to put out stuff that's of a really high quality but I can kind of please myself what topics I choose and you know, and to an extent how how I present them. But I have a lot of help because really I'm just a writer. Mm. Um, Two producers that I work with who design the most amazing soundscapes. I mean, they can do beheadings and people burning at the stake and, you know, galloping horses. And, I mean, anything I throw at them, they've managed to do. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm not on my own with it. And of the work that you've put out so far, is there any particular piece that stands out to you as being one that you're particularly proud of? Or is it just, you know, as it comes, you know, this latest one is one that you're particularly passionate about? I think that's true. I mean, I think you are always, I'm I'm passionate about the one I'm doing at the moment. That's where all my focus is. Um, I I did two pieces um, when I was at university as as part of my um, assessments. And um, the second one is probably not the most popular one. It's called Confessional. And it's quite a long play. And it's a French-based um, medieval play again, but it's about a child serial killer. And so it's not a terribly popular topic, really, to write about. 
but I'm very proud of it just because the acting and the production and the way it went. Um, yeah, I'm particularly proud of that one, I think. Mm. And presumably these dramas are still available to hear. Yes, yes, absolutely. So they're on any any podcast um, app, you know, if you go to Apple or um, whichever podcast app you'd like to use, under Sound Escape Theatre. Okay. They're also available on my website. Do you want me to give you the web address? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, it's straightforward. It's Jill Corn, which is J-I-L-L-K-O-R-N.com. And if you go there, you can download them or you can stream them straight from my website. Brilliant. And more generally, do you have any plans beyond The Glad Giver? Yeah, it's all going around in my head just now. I want to write a small, I want to write perhaps a series of shorter plays. And uh, it's going to combine, you know, I've written about Scotland, I've written about France. These ones are going to combine a character or characters that actually link both those countries. What's known as the Old Alliance um, up in Scotland, the sort of historic alliance between France and Scotland. But yeah, there are bits, there are notes, there are ideas, bits of dialogue. It's just churning around at the moment in the back of my head. Wait to see what happens with that one then. And finally, can you just remind us when we can listen to the Glad Giver as, as part of the exhibition? Yep, it will it will begin on the 18th of October, um, St Stephen's Church in Norwich. And my understanding is that there will be a quiet room where people could just go and listen to the whole play. After that, I'll put it up on my website and I'll podcast it. And I'll, I'll obviously put it out on social media. I'll let you know as well, Ray. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, uh, thanks very much for your time, Jill. It's, it's been lovely to speak with you and, and just learn a little bit more about Julian of Norwich, which I'm ever so slightly embarrassed to admit how little I know about her, really. So it'll be interesting to listen to the audio drama and just find out a little bit more. I hope so. I hope you hope you enjoy it when it's ready and done. Fantastic. Good luck with it. Thank you. So there we have it. That was Jill Korn of Sound Escapes Theatre. As she mentioned, her audio drama, The Glad Giver, will be available to listen to on the 18th of October at St Stephen's Church in Norwich. And if you want to check out any of Jill's work, including The Glad Giver, when it's available online, visit jillcorn.com. That's Jill with a J and Corn with a K. Now, what else is coming up in the region in the next few weeks? Well, Sound Ideas in Norwich will be performing Jerry Springer the Opera at the Playhouse between the 5th and 10th of September. You may have heard Tom Bailey talking about the show when I interviewed him a month or so ago, although he was actually on to talk about a different production. Anyway, Tom will be playing Jerry himself, and you can get tickets to watch him and the rest of the rather stellar cast via norwichtheatre.org. In South Norfolk, Pullen players are on the hunt for auditionees for their January pantomime, Rapunzel. So if you happen to have extraordinarily long hair, they no doubt want to hear from you. There's a presentation evening to find out more on the 1st of September, and auditions take place on the 6th and 8th of September. Now all of these take place at the Memorial Hall in Pullen Market near Dis. Over in Suffolk, you can catch Slow Theatre Company in action as they take their original production of The Haunted to Beckles Public Hall and Theatre on the 28th of September. It's an evening of theatrical and spooky storytelling with the pieces written by Steve Keyworth and performed by Danny O'Hara and Vanessa McCauley, all three of whom I've interviewed on the podcast for a previous production back in October last year. 
That's episode 21 if you want to check out what they're all about. But if you want tickets for The Haunted, visit beckelspublichall.com. Moving across to Cambridge and St Neots players will be performing the hit comedy Ladies' Day between the 21st and the 23rd of September. I've talked about Ladies' Day on here before, but it's a chaotic comedy where four work colleagues head to the racecourse for a supposed glamorous day out. It's very silly and really good fun, and you can get tickets via stneotsplayers.co.uk. Okay, and that, folks, is all I have time for. As usual, I'll post links for all the shows and auditions mentioned on my social media pages, as well as some others that I've not had time to feature. Thanks so much for listening to me and Jill ramble on and tune in again soon for what will no doubt be another gripping jaunt behind the scenes at a venue near you. Until then, take care of yourselves and go watch some theatre. Bye. <laughs>